need more rituals in your life? That is what we are exploring today on the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 276, and I have a wonderful author joining us today, Becca Piastrelli. Uh, this is one of my favorite conversations on the show, actually. Uh, it just flowed so beautifully, and Becca has spent the better part of the last decade studying roots and rituals. How do humans feel a genuine sense of groundedness, uh, roots through the ground and, and really connected, as well as the significance of rituals different through different seasons, different times in our lives, different occasions, and how all of that comes together to give us a fuller sense of life, a greater sense of meaning and purpose within our communities and within ourselves. And uh, I definitely urge you to have a look at her book, Root and Ritual, uh, and follow her on Instagram as Becca Piastrelli. I've got everything on the show notes for you. Uh, It is a beautiful book. The illustrations are gorgeous. The way she brings the themes to life are truly stunning and very practical as well. It doesn't feel like something you need to check out of society to benefit from or uh, become a part of. Just as last week talking to the beautiful Jodie Wilson around practicing simplicity in our lives, you do not have to live any particular way. You do not have to be a family or um, uh, with five kids or a you know, a couple or a single person, everyone can do this. And some of the things we discussed are around our ancestors, are around birth and the journey to motherhood, around death uh, and grieving uh, and seasons. Those are the main themes, I'll call it. But I just truly believe that you are in for an absolute treat for the next hour as we explore this topic And I cannot wait to hear how you might like to employ more rituals. Become very, um, ah, what is the word I'm looking for? Intentional uh, with how you start to bring ritual into your life after today's conversation, because I know you will be inspired to do more of it if it's not something you already do. Uh, I am very excited to start that chat. I will definitely do that in a minute, but of course I have to thank our major sponsor, Oz Climate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful dehumidifiers and air purifiers in your range. Uh, I have the compact Winix air purifier in our bedrooms and we have two of the compact 16 liter dehumidifiers for our two bedroom apartments, quite small. Uh, but they are always happy for you to give them a buzz, let them know you've got the code Lotox Life for your 10% off, and then share what your floor plan is. Are you a big combined living, dining, kitchen, open space? Do you have smaller spaces that you might need to rotate one or two units through? Uh, do you need a large unit for one of those bigger open spaces? 
They are happy to consult so that you don't choose the wrong thing. Uh, Appliances like this are big ticket appliances. I'm not a huge recommender of tons of different appliances for your kitchen or your home, but boy, am I a fan of dehumidifiers and air purifiers. I'd never really heard of either until I became dramatically unwell with mold, as many of you know the journey of. Um, And uh, I can't tell you enough how much these can save you if you find you're in an unhealthy environment and you want to clean up your air, but also if you want to stop the perpetual need to clean mold by preventing its growth in the first first place through decent dehumidification of your indoor space. ozclimate.com.au, you have 10% off their already discounted prices for being a podcast listener. And now let's talk root and ritual with Becca Becca Piastrelli. Enjoy. Hello, Becca. How are you? Oh, so happy to be here and to be connecting with you. I am so excited for this conversation. I have been thinking about rituals and uh, putting our roots down and how it manifests in different cultures. And I've been craving more uh, ritual and more season and noticing more and and trying to mark special times a bit more um, meaningfully. And then coming across your work was like, hello, angel of the things I've been thinking about. Uh, Please come and join me on the show and let's have a conversation. So it is wonderful to have you here. And I want to ask you, my first question is, were you brought up in a house of rituals or was it a journey of discovery? Like you were born again, ritual person in your adult life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, my, my gut reaction is to say no in the sense that there, there wasn't that word or that level of meaning was not brought to, you know, the, the idiosyncrasies of a family, the little traditions, the little, you know, the, the superstitions, the, anything that we did habitually that brought us meaning or comfort or soothed our nervous systems or something we could count on. Um, yeah. So I had those, uh, not from a real, from, not from a cultural lineage ancestral perspective. I, I, my ancestors are distant settler colonizers from the lands of Europe, um, colonized here. I'm in, I'm in California, North America, also known as Turtle Island up here by the (laughs) native people. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, and I talk about feeling like a cultureless white girl, really not having a sense of cultural identity beyond like, um, you know, just being like American. Uh, so it wasn't until later that I really brought a sense of like, oh, I'm missing this. And I'm drawn to this sense of bringing meaning to an action and bringing intention to an action. It actually, uh, yeah, I'd say the last really didn't come in until my late twenties because I was searching, I was searching for more meaning. I was searching, was it in religion? Was it in working out? Was it in going green? You know, was it in all these ways that I was searching? Um, and, and yes, in some of those, but for me, it it was a real, um, simplifying and, and signifying of, and slowing down, Mm -hmm. slowing down of my life in order to see the beauty and magic and meaning in every moment. 
Beautiful. I love that. And yeah, I've been over the last few years, I've had a few new friends, you know, and a lot of them are internationals, expats, people who are here with their kids. And I meet them because our kids play together through primary school, etc. And um, my German friend, uh, I remember like she was just always ready, getting ready for some kind of thing that was happening. And they were pulling out all the craft and they were getting the house to look a certain way. And I mean, and she was like 10,000 miles from her German family roots. Um, And yet she was continuing these beautiful traditions and getting the kids involved. And uh, I feel a little bit like you. I'm first generation Australian, a little bit English, a little bit Mauritian. We've got some really exciting cultural influences that, you know, I I do everything from curry to pork pie. But um, still didn't, I I felt almost because of that mishmash, um, it was then hazy as to what you celebrate, what you um, make important in your calendar and therefore less ebb and flow in that kind of build-up of excitement. It's literally birthdays and Christmas. And that's it. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so I, I very much relate and I'm a new mama and I'm now like, oh, I want to bring more ritual and tradition and meaning to, you know, the, the way the seasons move from one to the next and holidays with my daughter. And there's all this like sense of, oh, I wish I had that. And, and so I've been doing a lot of research into like, why, why do we have, why do we have a sense of loss of this? Uh, like what's the context? And there's, it's deeper than that. Like, why are we lonely? Why are we feeling disconnected from the natural world, from the living world? Like, why are we burning out? Like, there's all these areas where I'm like curious, uh, you know, I can sort of step out of my like oh, panic and go into this place of why is that true? And it's really like the historical context of uh, industrialization, capitalism. I mean, really the, the taking us out of the living world and then away from a communal structure of, of, of community care, of taking care of each other, then off the streets in cars, then in our homes, out, you know, immigrating for whatever reason from our from our ancestral homes and then having to assimilate, particularly those of us who live in the industrialized world where it's just like culture is kind of eliminated in order to be accepted. There's a lot to it. So that brings a deeper understanding to the struggle and also empowers me to create new ways of bringing meaning by looking back to the old ways of the people I come from, whether I can name them or not. Yeah. Wow. As you were talking there, I was thinking about examples of what makes that all ring so true. And I was thinking about the example of people searching and they, you know, they try to find it in diet culture wars. Like I'm going to be a part of the keto tribe now for, you know, six months. And I just didn't feel totally connected or like that was right somehow. Or so I'm going to go vegan and, you know, that makes sense. And now, you know, I'm still actually not feeling quite connected in the way that I imagined I would if I found something really deep. And then they, you know, go into the, um, oh gosh, who knows, like the, the polarization wars that are now happening politically. Oh, those must be my people. They're so passionate about X, Y, and Z. And then, oh no, but they're also passionate about X, Y, and Z and I'm not. Um, and then, you know, where do we be? 
I, I definitely think you've nailed it with that um, pinpointing of industrialization and capitalism taking us away from the natural world. Um, I interviewed this amazing construction giant, um, Teresa Cody, uh, who um, feels like we can use the construction industry to heal some of these disconnects. And I was like, oh, you're so exciting. And she talked about how, how humans not being able to hear birds is actually incredible detriment, incredibly detrimental to our nervous systems, our sense of place. So different birds coming through at different points of the year, stuff like that. And so I feel like what you're saying really links into this bigger search that so many of us have that we're not even pinpointing, identifying, naming, don't even know what the blueprint for the map is, but a lot of people are searching and disconnected. Yeah, uh, a, a little side hobby of mine is is researching cults Ooh. because I I think and I really love this book called Cultish by Amanda Montel. Highly, ah, that is on my list. Thank you. Okay, She's, I'm bumping it up. Yeah, mm. well, you know, and she really maps to like we're all a little cultish, and it's okay because we're all looking for a place to feel belonging. <laughs> we're all looking for a place to feel acceptance. Uh, and then my, I sort of, my subthesis of that is because we've been disconnected, you know, over many generations. And, and so I, let's bring compassion to the desperation that a lot of us feel. And, you know, like uh, exercise clubs, diets, religions, m- multi-level marketing, like there's all these areas in which it, they're a little cultish uh, and some way more harmful than others, I will just say. But um, yeah, I, I find that to be really interesting where we, where we go, what we do and where we go because of this ache, we all feel, you know, and for some people it's numbing, it's not culty things, it's numbing, it's, you know, it's addictions. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and, and you know how we all sort of look at the world through a frame, like my frame for seeing most things is from this, this place of disconnection. Like I can be like, hmm. Yeah. What would you do differently if you felt a deeper sense of belonging in your body and you interacted more with the natural world and you had more community structure in your life? Like, would you be drinking so much? Would you be eating so much? Would you, you know, X, Y, Z, Z, Yeah. (laughs) you know, like what, what would it be? So that's, yeah, that's the way I look at it because that's been, that's been my fascination my Mm. entire life. So true. Uh, uh, Something that I was writing for my own, um, club membership last year around uh, mindfulness was like, could you replace when you felt like going out for a drink with um, a friend to a walk? Uh, Could you replace like all the extra chocolate that you buy with a catch up with a friend and going for a hike for the morning? Like, would you be thinking about that chocolate if you were on a beautiful morning hike? Sure. I'd have a couple of squares after I love chocolate, but the obsession part of um, of consumption around like buying a handbag, you know, you're happy for five minutes of dopamine, um, but then you're still lonely. And like, I almost feel like we need to replace all the, cons- like at least half the consumption stuff with connection stuff. It- it's like for me, such a simple recipe to enhance life. It's so simple and it's very challenging. Mm, so why? Why is it challenging? 
Yeah, because it's the water we're swimming in is tantalizing. It's, <laughs> yes, know, it like, is. Right. Like, and so that I, I just try to be compassionate because otherwise, you know, it becomes too either, or it becomes too binary. And then we're bad and wrong if we don't make a, a better choice, you know? And mm. then that's like, you know, if you think about, you mentioned diet culture, like that's just, yeah. It's, it's the mental the health spiral. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so on the same page. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, the water we're swimming in is, um, is a siren song, you know, for, for what we ache for. And, and I just think about how the, 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 the smartphones of today and the apps, they're all like the, the world's top minds are engineering them to be addicting. Yeah. It's you know? the new junk food, right? It's the new yeah. once you pop, you can't stop. Right. And I, and I, I notice it in myself, you know, I'm like, wow, this is really like, I do feel the dopamine hit. I do feel these things. I feel my own addiction. And, and I see how, like, I can't, I can't live off grid. You know, I'm a hobby gardener. I eat what I grow, but I still go to the market to supplement. Right. And I have these dreams of, of opting out of the system. And yet I also can't, you know, like I have to participate to a certain extent. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not, I'm not. So yeah, I was going to ask you, is it can't, or is it just not actually a priority for you right now? Or is it fear? Like, have you ever unpacked that for yourself? I don't want to, I don't want to Mm. live fully, you know, off grid. Neither do I. That's why I find it an interesting conversation. Some people are so adamant. Um, and I've always been that idealist type that feels like it's actually more effective for me as a person. I'm not judging anyone else's choices to stay in a system and try and fix it, make it better from the inside rather than leave Trojan a system. Trojan horse vibe. Yeah, total Trojan horse vibe. That's yeah. me. That's me. Yeah, yeah. and I am, and I, I think there are plenty of thinkers and teachers out there doing that and and I just, I'm always interested in that messy middle, you know, the, the people who have to, you know, have to keep working, uh, or, um, you know, in the system or, you know, for whatever, like socioeconomic, you know, family trauma, whatever it is, they're sort of feeling stuck in this place where they have to consume and they have, you know, the waste or whatever it is that they're in and they're disconnected and they're burning out or these are all words that can be interchangeable with other words, but, uh, like how can we, I mean, the, my whole thesis for, for life and for this book that I wrote that just came out called root and ritual is like, how can we work within what we have now, but, but shift it like you're saying. So we live in a really fast paced culture where we are often convinced that we need to move at the pace of computers, but our bodies are not, are literally animal bodies that are meant or that digest, they're never going to, you can't make yourself digest at the pace of computers. You know, your heart's going to beat at the pace it's going to beat and your liver's going to process waste the way at the pace it's going to process waste. And like, we are creatures of the earth. We are. And so how can we adjust this, this time where, you know, you and I are talking on opposite sides of the planet on two yep. different days right now. <laughs> yeah, we are. How amazing. How mm. amazing. But how can we alter or incorporate ways that our ancestors lived 
And that's like a big, you know, nebulous topic, but at the very least, like they lived at an earth pace. How can we bring that into our lives so that we're putting the phone down an hour before we go to sleep, that we're slowing down, that we choose the walk with the friend, you know, how, how, and I think the key is to remember that our nervous systems were not built for this time. And so to feel crazy, to feel stressed out and burned out is a very reasonable reaction. <laughs> yes. You know, it's yeah. perfectly reasonable. There's nothing wrong with you. It's the sw- water we're swimming in. So how can we, what can we opt out of on a micro level mm. and, and how can we shift it so that, you know, future generations are doing it in a different way? Yeah. Oh, what I was thinking of a really strong parallel as you were talking there was uh, around ultra processed foods. I just wrote a book on food last year came out and um, and 60% of the average shopping trolley in Anglo-Saxon countries is, um, and by that I mean Australia, New Zealand, UK, US, um, is ultra processed food. And it's not that we're bad people for that being there. It's the water we're swimming in, to use your phrase. And it's about actually just reconnecting with whole natural foods at a greater percentage. So it's almost like you could then parallel all the aspects of modern life and the top heavy, not so great for us situation we find ourselves in and and just needing to rebalance the cart, literally to, to a majority of what makes sense biologically. Mm -hmm. And making demands of those in power to shift what's available and the pricing of it. Yeah. It's, Mm. it's big. It's a big systemic thing. It's huge. And And I've talked to professors about this, like, you know, if we all stop eating junk food tomorrow as a, as a group of people globally, uh, that totally screws over millions and millions and millions of people and jobs and factories and raw material producers of the grains in the first place. All like, how do we shift? I know that's not our conversation to have, but these are big questions of our time. And all you and I can do in this conversation with your beautiful book is talk about the here and now for the person listening and what it looks like in your life as a, as a grassroots person trying to grow roots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about those things all the time. And when I do, you know, like toppling the giants, I, I, it's very overwhelming. Right. And it can feel really hard and then it can feel really, you know, disheartening. And then what do you do with that? It's kind of paralyzing and, I think about that when I think about climate change, it's just like, well, can, what can one person do? And, and this is why I, what I've done is really think like I'm playing the long game here. So urgency culture is also the water we're swimming in. And it, you know, I I talk a lot about slowing down. I think this is, this is the beginning, right? Is that, yes, we would love that to end you know, processed foods tomorrow. We'd love to shift the temperature rising across the planet tomorrow, but how can we permanently make a shift in all ways? And so I think maybe it won't happen in my lifetime, but if it's going to happen, like if, if it, I, I want it to be a sustainable change, then like, how can we sustainably move towards it so that it happens in our children's lifetime. Like what is actually going to move the dial? 
And that's very humbling and frustrating, you know, but that's the way I've got to do it because otherwise I get dysregulated and then I'm not treating my body and my spirit and, you know, my land the way it needs to be treated with reference and, and connection. So that's where ritual is a part of my life. It's really a way to drop me back into the pace of the earth. It's really to drop me back into a pace of it. It keeps me resourced and sustained for the long game that I'm playing. That is, I will do as much as I can in this life for however long I'm privileged to live. You know, it's about more than just me. So yeah, that's helped me because I spent my whole twenties, you know, researching this and was really a big part of the green movement and activism. And it was, it was just burnout city. So how can we, yeah, shift the conversation and the culture in a slow, but sustainable way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, my activist side goes, but a little bit faster, please. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what if we all did it? Maybe it would go yeah, faster. That would, that would go a bit faster. Yeah. I yeah, know some of us don't have, you know, 50 years. I get mm. it. I get it. But you know, what we're talking about here, um, slowing down and reducing processed food and all the things. Um, I think of the first time I went to Union Square Market in New York City, uh, which was probably about nine years ago now, um, compared to three years ago, the last time I went Uh, And there are so many more young farmers, young people growing all sorts of fabulous produce, making all sorts of beautiful maple syrups, pickles, you name it, um, sourdoughs. And I have a lot of hope for the direct link of people like you and me in the education space online, helping to show new ways of doing things slower, better, more in line with nature. Um, and then how that translates is market confidence in doing a thing slowly for people who live slow. Um, and it happens actually quite quickly if you just look at the market stalls and actually markets full stop. Like think about all the suburbs that have farmer's markets now that didn't a decade ago in cities. Um, and you see a lot of young market store holders, whereas you used to think of your farmer as, and we know statistically, a really aging population. So that's kind of heartening at this point. So we, mm. we have a, a little positive to put on the board. Yeah, when, when I was listening to you talk about processed foods, I was like, we just need a, a farmer's market in every town. Mm. Like yeah, well, food deserts is huge, right? Massive. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Definitely. So, okay, let's actually talk about deepening connection. Um, and, you know, like someone's out there right now going, oh, crap, I haven't seen my best friend in three months. And yet I've made time to have coffee with the person that I find quite annoying like three times. <laughs> like, you know, we, we just people might be having realizations. I'm a huge fan of the diary audit. Like look at your week ahead and are are you excited? Are you happy? Do you feel joy around some of the things you're doing? Um, And if not change, but a lot of people, myself included, I, I, I remember having like a lot of surface conversations for a couple of years and feeling really empty about that, like whole networking and yeah, oh my God, hi. And 
But is it all very, you know, meaningful? No, at the end of the day, it's not. And I just crave deep philosophical conversations and exploration um, for someone who has not found their way back to that yet. Advice? Yeah, this is a big one. This is like uh, some, uh, like the number one question I get is like, why is it so hard to make deep and meaningful friendships as an adult? Mm. And I actually, uh, the, the book I wrote has four sections, land, lineage, community, and the self. And there's a whole chapter in the community section devoted to making meaningful friendships. And I even, uh, I sprinkle throughout the book, rituals, practices, journal prompts, recipes. And I, I give these a few practices of like, it's such a beautiful book, by the way. I really love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So so I'll just say like, if it's hard for you, you're so not alone. I, again, the water we're swimming in is moving fast, not having time. What can you do for me? What can I do for you to like transactional relationships and interactions and really like our true nature before all this, you know, stuff happened historically, which in the span of human history is like a, a, a blip, you know, of, if you think of the history of humans, it's a long, long line. And it's like the in industrial industrialized world is like nothing. So for a long time, humans, our human family have been communal and, and slower, slower paced. So this is something just to keep in mind, like, okay, it's hard. It's hard when interactions, you know, feel transactional and we're moving so quickly, but it's like, I just think of it as an atrophied muscle, you know, like you just lift yes. weights and after a while you get stronger and then you get a heavier weight and you just keep lifting it. And so what we have to be willing to do is just be a bit awkward. I have some compassion for the power of a surface conversation just to like, uh, be a, a nervous system regulator and just like build rapport. Interesting. I used to be like, I don't want to ever, but it's like actually <laughs> okay. quite helpful to just be like how, not, how are you fine? How are you like, no, are you really fine? Hmm. But just mm. like a little bit of weather talk or a little bit of something in order to be like, okay, we're both safe because we're animals, right? Okay, we're both safe. Got Everything's it. Good. I love and that then, reframe. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it to be helpful, especially for folks with like mental health things where it's like, mm. actually it's, it's quite helpful. And I think talking about the weather is an ancestral practice. So I love talking about the weather. Yeah. You know, like well, orient- don't we all? Yeah. You and I did as soon as we got on and it we oriented did. us to where we are on earth mm. and how it's going. And it actually led to a really important conversation about climate and mm. all that stuff. But yeah, to back to meaning, taking it deeper, I'd say the number one way we can create more connection with each other is through intimacy and vulnerability. And so in order to do that, we need to create rapport and relative safety. So that takes a minute. It takes slowing down. It takes not rushing. It takes maybe repeated interactions, not a ton, but, you know, seeing each other getting in and, um, listening, I talk about fertile listening in the book, which is the practice that a lot of us, particularly caretaking folk, particularly those of us who identify as women struggle with, which is, can you speak to me about something that's perhaps a little charged, you know, like a big celebration and I'm not, I'm not going through a great time in life or you're in a real tough time. And can I just hear you give you my full presence and not have to give you advice? 
and not have to say, look on the bright side, not have to have a story uh, that's similar to just say, I hear you. Thank you for sharing. That is, I lead, I used to do workshops and retreats pre-pandemic where I lead people in, in fertile listening. And so challenging, but it's a weight. You just keep lifting the weight. We can learn how to listen to each other. We can learn how to witness. And then that creates more safety between us to be more intimate and to tell the hard things and to tell the wonderful things and to not believe that we are burdening each other or betraying each other or making, you know, judging each other, that it's actually just a beautiful reciprocal interaction as opposed mm. to a transactional one. Mm. I love that. Just listening. Yeah. I wanted to give that a bit of space. <laughs> uh, amazing. And, and then if you are someone going through a really challenging time, often you retreat. I know that in myself, I went through a really big time of chronic illness and um, I felt like if anyone asked me how I was, I was just going to cry. So it was probably better not to see anybody. <laughs> it was really a bit dark there for a while. Um, and, and I wondered how you can create connection in your most vulnerable time when you actually um, almost protectively repel yourself from people. Yeah. But you need yeah. them the most right then. But you exactly. kind of can't admit it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a tricky one. Uh, I, yeah, I've just, I'm just coming out of the, a deep hole of postpartum depression. And it was, it was said. Oh, Sorry yeah. to hear that. Thanks. It's very healing to talk about it. Mm. Very healing. Yeah. It, but it was really rough. And I remember needing people and also being terrified of, of needing, you know, of, and not knowing what I needed and being afraid that I'd have to, and having no, being afraid that I'd have to hold people when I had no capacity or energy, you know, like I'd have to entertain them or I'd have to listen to them when I had, I just needed to be held and supported. And I didn't even know what that would look like. And it all just felt like too much. So isn't it just easier to like wall off, but then that feels really isolating. Yeah. So, so this is where we have to learn to receive support, even when we don't know what support we actually need. And it may not be the support we think we need. So it's, again, it's a little awkward way that we're like kickstarting a part of us that has never left, which is being communal and showing up for each other. And so I have this practice with friends where, you know, it's like, you can just text, I'm struggling. And we can say, would this be supportive? Yes. No. Would this be supportive? Yes. No. I actually loved in the early days postpartum when people would send me voice memos or texts and they'd write no need to respond afterwards. What permission, but it filled me, filled my cup, you know, like, thank you. Like, I'm thinking of you. I'm sending you so much love and I know it must be hard and I can't personally relate, but I just know that thinking of you and oh, no need to respond, just sending you love. Oh, oh, yeah. So little things, you know, or showing up with, you know, the very classic example, at least here is like 
showing up with lasagna on the doorstep. Yeah. And me being like, that's definitely my love language. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping off the food. And I say to people, even if you don't think you need the food, even if, even if you hate lasagna, (laughs) take the lasagna because it's not about the lasagna. (laughs) Totally. The practice of receiving someone Mm. caring about you. Yeah. So uh, I have compassion for the, you know, the really primal desire to like hold up and protect what you have and also, um, encourage anyone who's experiencing that or has experienced that to think about like, it's okay to receive support because that's building your capacity over time. And then particularly those of us that have gone through a really intense, like illness, mental health crisis, um, really hard time that makes us like, when we get to the other side, when we feel more resource, we show up the best for mm. other people. Don't you, don't you think that like, yeah, I'm I just like, you're a new mom. Okay. I'm going to the grocery store. What can I pick up for you? I'm going anyways. I can drop it off. Yeah. No big deal. Exactly. Can I do your groceries? Can I wash your toilet? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we don't <laughs> please, even have to talk. Please don't make me a cup of tea. I'm here to work and, yeah. and get out of your head. We yeah. understand. So mm. yeah, we're building that web mm. back together. Yeah. I think is part of it also we don't know how to care for weak people in weakness and dips in their own life because we're actually also used to pretending to be fine and well. Like I know as a strong person who often is the person, you know, my nickname at school was Dr. Alex, just to give you some context there. I've I've been a person people turn to for stuff um, my whole life. And I felt like actually quite a few friends didn't know what to do with me when I was not well. Um, uh-huh. mm. Right. Because it like rewrote the, the silent agreement around mm. everyone's role. Yes. Um, yeah. Really interesting. There were probably only about three friends who could handle my energy when I was a shell of a human. Um, and I am eternally grateful for that. It was amazing. But I'm also not upset with the other friends because I feel like we actually genuinely don't know how to deal when thing when the boat is rocked. And it's easier to just not deal at all. Yeah. And I think I honestly think that's rooted in being like a death phobic, grief phobic society. Like a lot of us just don't have the tools and the, the emotional modeling to navigate, uh, uncertainty, discomfort, dark shadowy things, you know? And, um, I think that's like a product of our individualist bootstrapping, uh, you know, like the veneer of everything's okay. You know, that stuff it all down. It's very much rooted in British colonizing stuff, yeah. you know, of like Story stiff upper is. lip. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's pervasive. And so, uh, yeah, I have, just like you, I have compassion for the people who have a harder time, but I don't give them a pass. (laughs) I'm like, I needed you Mm. and here's how I needed you. And it's okay. You didn't know, Mm. but here's how I needed you. And I remember, um, so I became a mother at 35 and I had a lot of people go ahead of me. And I remember just like not knowing how to show up for them. Also being like, they're, they're probably there's, they're going through so much. Like, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to, mm. them. <laughs> I remember in the first month of being postpartum, I texted all of them an apology and said, I, wow, 
I was afraid actually of your vulnerability. It almost like it was contagious. Like it might touch me and then I won't be okay. And, um, you know, I, I, I really think it's rooted in like our fear of culturally, our fear of death and our fear of sickness and how we, we say, it's like, I didn't want to bother you. It's like, you're not a bother. And, and the, and I think it's better to say, can I support you in this way? And the person to say no, Mm. than to just not reach out. Mm. So powerful. I'm sure this is uh, opening the eyes of many people on all sorts of sides of all sorts of spectrums um, to see how we can all show up better for each other because, um, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable and, yeah, there's no map, but you just got to figure it out and you can only do that through communication. Yeah, let it be clunky. Mm. Let it be clunky or awkward or, you know, slightly emotionally charged. And yeah, I just think if we could all work on this, how much less addicted would we be to TikTok? I don't know. It's just, (laughs) it's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I love it. No, I totally agree. Um, And, you know, you've mentioned death a couple of times now, rituals, babies being born. Um, How do rituals earth us ground us like why do they why is it such um, an important part of us solving this big puzzle of disconnect Mm -hmm. yeah well it brings meaning to an action and so a lot of us are living very much like from the neck up like in our heads sort of out of our bodies Uh, and for anyone who you know can really Uh, relate to that anxiety or spinning out a sense of being ungrounded. Like you cannot feel your feet on the earth or like Mm. your butt in the chair. Like you really can't, you're, you're all up here. I'm, I'm spinning my hand around my head and you're just (laughs) like, ah, you know, I, it happens to me, particularly when I have too much coffee, you know, like (laughs) it just happens. And so to ground, to root, to, there are all these words you can use to regulate. Uh, I, I use the word ritual because what matters to me is that meaning is brought to any action, placing your hand on your heart and taking three deep breaths, lighting a candle and watching the flame and letting the flames movement bring a sense of like another, um, energy in the room. When you're feeling really lonely, putting your bare feet on the earth and thinking about all the life and roots and just the whole world beneath you, even if you live in a concrete jungle city, these are just coming to me, pouring your water in the morning and drinking it and, and watching it visually as you close your eyes, touching all your cells and bathing them in water and nourishing and feeding you and beginning you for the day. These are all examples of what I would call ritual. And it brings us back in our bodies through meaning, through intention or prayer or blessing. This is a way to make more meaning of what we'd maybe call the mundane of our lives, where we're actually just popping out of our bodies. But our bodies are these like sacred vessels that the tissue and bone like that, you know, once was earth and there's so, I mean, you can just go so deep thinking about all that we are descended from and all that we are connected to and all we will return to. 
And so to just drink that water or take a shower in the morning and have it cleanse you of like the funk from the day before, this is a really powerful way to bring a sense of meaning and presence to your life. Yeah. Beautiful. And what is the most recent ritual you've brought into your life? Hmm. Uh, an example I love to share is I've, I've, I, it's very helpful for me to process the fact I have an 18 month old that I have had a child and I thank everyone for listening. It's very helpful. It's like you are in this ritual, you are a witness for me, particularly as a, a, a lockdown mother. So it feels really nice. And that, and there's a whole piece there of being witnessed in your transformation in a rite of passage. So, uh, I had postpartum hair loss. This is a very common thing where I'd brush my hair and a lot of hair would come out in my hairbrush. And I'd sometimes feel a little sad, a little grief about that. And I thought, is it because of like vanity beauty stuff? And it's like, well, there's a little fear around that. But I realized I wanted to bring ritual to the fact that I was saying goodbye to my childless years. And that was hard time of like freedom and a different body and, you know, staying out late. And at least for now, you know, like this different experience of life. And so I collected that hair and I was talking to a friend about what I should do with that hair. And she said, why don't you introduce and compost yourself and your former self to the spirits of the land in your garden, I have quite a big garden. And she said, why don't you introduce yourselves to the mycelia of the soil. And I thought, well, that's a really cool idea. Uh, so every couple weeks I pull the hair from my hairbrush and I go outside and I sprinkle it in my garden. And I just give a little, um, like a little blessing of like, here you go. It's actually also great for the soil. Uh, you know, a part of my body can be used as fuel for the soil. And, you know, it's not like I'm throwing clumps of hair. It's just a little strand here, there. And that's a way to reweave my kinship, my connection with the land I live on and not just think of it as a thing I can extract, but to see it as alive. And that's why I love working with these concepts of, of mycelia and microbes of like the aliveness to keep me engaged in like, oh, I am a steward. I'm a caretaker. And here, let me make an offering and also it's a way to ritualize a goodbye and that may give new life somewhere else. Mm. Oh, one of the most important legacies we can leave is soil in a better mm. shape than how we found it. Like that's honestly the most powerful thing we could be focused on right now with the state of our planet. Talk about hope. When I think about soil mm. and what we can do and just like permaculture um, and compost, I just feel like there's my source of hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've only got a balcony, but honestly, worm farming for me is a spiritual <gasps> experience. Yes, I just love it. And I, I love like seeing the worms, like freak out and all go on the sides. It's like, we're hungry. Come on. Oh, and, um, isn't it so satisfying? It really is. And, uh, and I think such an amazing way for urbanites to connect and feel like we are part of yeah. a cycle. Mm. You are even, yeah. Beneath the concrete is a whole world, waters mm -hmm. and stones and bones and, and critters. And, oh yeah, yeah. it's all there. It's all mm. there. Amazing. 
hairbrush ritual. I love that. Like, <laughs> can we take our hairbrush, like the the hair down to the local park and like just sprinkle it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I think a lot can of people. Can you give it to worms? I don't know. I, I That may be worth a little Google after our chat. I know you can give dryer lint. I don't know if you say dryer lint. Yes. I wondered about that because of microplastics, like if there was activewear in there and stuff. Well, yeah, I would use like a guppy bag for those. But, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if what you're laundering, this was hard, but if what you're laundering is not synthetic, yeah, you mm. can give your dryer lint to worms. Most of it is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I collect it in a little container and then usually kind of think, well, what now? But um, now you can also make paper from it. YouTube yes. will tell you all about that. I have yeah. seen that. I know. Yeah. I'm like, um, okay, I'm definitely all about connecting, but I'm also about prioritizing my time. And that's yeah. not right. It's, <laughs> that's not very high up there for me. <laughs> not today. Not today. Got it. <laughs> Maybe good for you with the craft years coming up, age three yeah, to five. You will be doing a lot of that. Dryer lint papers <laughs> in my purview. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Um, something that I think about with rituals is old, old people, like people from our families, people past in our families. And it actually came to mind last night and I thought, oh, I'm talking to the perfect person tomorrow morning about this. Mm. We, I was out to dinner with my um, husband. Our son was away on year seven camp until this afternoon. So we were like, we've got to squeeze a date night in. Come yeah. on, let's go. I'd be spontaneous, you know. Uh, it was absolutely lovely. And for dessert, there was a, a flan. So it was a, a Catalan, Spanish flan. And as I took a bite, you know, which is kind of like a creme caramel, the same sort of dessert, took a bite and I was like, oh my God, I could be in my grandma's kitchen right now. And it was like, oh, I've got goosebumps even talking about it again this morning. It was so deeply meaningful, this little $14 delicious chefy dessert in a restaurant. It's like so far away from Mauritius, it's crazy. Um, but yet I was in my grandmother's kitchen and I thought, oh my gosh, like, you know, two weeks ago, I, I steamed squash, like big yellow squash, um, and made a homemade mayonnaise because I just wanted to be in my great auntie Ellen's kitchen in Mauritius. And I was remembering that feeling as a teenager, just having a chat with her, being in town instead of in the beach and, and having some time away from my parents as a teenager. I loved it. Um, and being in her house, she had an amazing cook and I wanted to recreate that experience. And I did that through food. And I then thought, could I construct a whole calendar? Like just take a few days, send a few emails about different family members' birthdays and when they were, and um, and then build some memory, like, you know, take some memories of those people um, and make them come to life on these special days of the year. Uh, and honor them and maybe light that candle on that day as well and and build um, some ritual into modern life that way by honoring people who meant a lot to me as a little girl or even asking my mum who meant a lot to you can we bring them back uh, in in a meaningful way is is that something um, am I on the right track there yeah you are. Mm, okay. I call that an ancestral connection practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I even, 
in a chapter of the book in the lineage section, I talk about the power of ancestral food and folklore to stoke that. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a deep part of us that is nourished by food, right? The physical intake of food, but also how food holds memory. And for a lot of us, like the stories of our people may have been lost in written word or never, you know, just was never captioned that way, but it's held in the recipes. It's held in the songs. It's held in the way of dress. It's held in the art and the poetry and the way hair is worn and all of that. And it's held in the food. And I think for, for a lot of us, we can feel that. And it's, you know, so food is just like the, the thing of life and it brings people together. And I even, I have a practice and I give it in the book of having an ancestral potluck. What if you could gather your community together and have everyone bring a food of their people, whatever that means. Is it like your Nana's favorite pasta or is it like the boxed funfetti cake your, your dad made you when you were a kid? What matters is like, what if we all got together and brought food and then said the story? that went along with it. Like, I want to hear your Mauritian stories. I mean, that would be incredible. So then if I ate it, like think about just the energy energetic of me taking in that story and the nourishment of that story and then keeping, you know, your family's memory alive. That is, that is a practice that can be tracked in cultures all over the world. The ones we really look at are like, um, you know, Dia de los Muertos in Mexico, but this is, you know, all there's an ancestor day in South Korea. Like this is a practice that we're all indigenous to somewhere and the, and keeping the memory of our ancestors alive through food is a very accessible ritual that has never left us no matter what happened in history, because also the history of humans is the history of migration. And so it's like food is influenced by what's grown there, you know, what people they interacted with, um, the stories that were collected, and then maybe they moved along and maybe it was shifted, but that's all contained in the eating of it or in the invention of a new recipe and carrying it along. Beautiful. And I love the permission there that like, even if it's a, you know, a Betty Crocker recipe that your dad used to make and it makes you happy, um, it's not necessarily about how um, indigenous and correct and yeah, don't uh, get caught up in that. Yeah, exactly. Like if we're going to start like stoking the fire, we actually just need to start somewhere Yeah, um, with whatever feels meaningful to us. And there's no shame in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel a whole bunch of Australians remembering the fairy bread that they used to take to yeah. parties. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I had an ancestral potluck Yeah, and my friend, she brought was, fairy bread. She was born in Australia mm-hmm. and she lives here in California and she brought fairy bread and we went wild over it. <laughs> People tend to. Yeah. So funny. Um, you talk uh, actually something I saw in your um, book as, as we're talking about ancestors is the ancestral altar. Can you talk about how one would build one of those? Cause that definitely got me thinking and maybe that's why I've then subliminally been thinking about um, food and ancestors and remembering them better. Yeah. Well, seasonally for you in the Southern hemisphere, autumn, Mm. which is what you're entering to. Yeah. Is a very, is very aligned with 
ancestors, ancestral connection. And the, the simple reason for that, uh, I mean, it could be any time of year, but there's some reason for that is like often not in every bioregion, but often in, in, in many bioregions, autumn is when plants sort of die. And so this reminder, so this is just looking from an earth honoring sort of pagan perspective of the earth, uh, letting the humans know of like, what is, what's happening at the earth is what happening happens within us. And so to watch like gardens sort of wilt and be put to bed is a reminder of like death, you know, death leads, like death is a part of life and then which leads to rebirth. And so ancestors are often top of mind. This has been, you know, many thousands of years, sort of a practice in areas of the world. So that could be happening for you. Uh, you know, the like crisp nights and all of those things happening. But uh, when I say altar, for those of you who are like, what? I, I don't mean anything really ornate and there's, there's no religion here. Uh, just simply a physical place to put items that bring meaning and intention in some way. So, you know, some people display their altars on Instagram and it's like they have a special altar table and they put like stones or deities or um, cards or, you know, photos of ancestors. And it could literally be on the back of your toilet. It could be above your fireplace. It could be in a little corner. It could be on your windowsill. It's just a place where you can bring intention and meaning. So an ancestor altar is a practice uh, I give in the book for folks who want to stoke those flames of, of remembering that they come from, from millions, millions. We all come from millions of people who lived however they lived. And now we're alive because they lived. That's how, that's what happened. Uh, and so uh, like on ancestor altar, you could put photos of ancestors or belongings of ancestors. Uh, and depending on it, maybe you want to work with like not recent relatives, but deep ancestors. You could put anything on there, like a stone or a, or a piece of a root or a cup of tea to call upon your deep roots. You know, I've had people like uh not want to work with any human ancestors and think back to like our original ancestors, which is like stardust and work with that or work with, um, you know, the, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, Paul Stamets talks about like us being descended from mushrooms and yeah, I know. I'm giving He's all amazing. these, I'm giving all these examples or affinity lineage. You know, I have, I have friends who are in the queer community who uh, really feel a strong, honoring of their, of the mighty dead of those who, who represented the queer and trans community throughout, throughout time and honor them. So there's so many ways to do an ancestor altar. And I, I really encourage folks who are wanting to feel that deeper connection to who and what they come from to create one. However, however that ends up looking. Mm, beautiful. And I'm thinking sometimes seasons might even be like the baby step into then connecting to deeper things and ancestors and because that's something we're all living right now, you know, um, going from winter to summer to autumn, spring, yada, yada. Um, uh, I obviously didn't say them in the right order just then. <laughs> I'm sorry if that confused anyone momentarily. 
I uh, didn't mean to, um, but um, <clears throat> I also then in that want to bring up something we were talking about before we went online, which was climate change and the destabilization of seasons that many mm-hmm. regions in the world are experiencing now. Um, and could that actually be uh, contributing to feeling disconnected because something just really deeply does not feel right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I speak from, I live just north of San Francisco in California, the United States, where in the last five years, uh, I, I feel that our autumn has been really taken away from us. That's how I feel. Cause it, it's was, you know, it's our warmest time of year and everyone, I live near wine country and that's when everyone goes and has harvest festivals. And it's a real time to, to be out. And in the last five years, we've just had such intense wildfires that we choke on the air here for multiple months and we can't really go outside or we have to wear N95s and, and uh, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. And it's, it's got no sign of letting up, no sign of letting up. So uh, I have been grieving what, you know, autumn in Northern California, like, what is it? What is it now? Is it now a time to be inside and look out at smoky air, you know, and no longer burn fires in the fireplace, you know, to fear fire, to to revere and fear fire. Like something I like to talk about is that we, we are the ancestors in the making and we are writing the myths now. We are writing the stories now. And so a lot of us, when we think about seasons, there can be a nostalgia, particularly to the lands we are descended from, you know, like Christmas being like the picture of a Bavarian village, but you know, more than me, mm-hmm. that like Christmas where you are is yeah. really hot. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, there are no, uh, you know, pine trees. <laughs> Mm-hmm. where you are. So yeah, there's a lot to be said about, about that. But I, I think, I think in a time of shifting climate to live seasonally is to think both. And is to think about what it has meant, you know, like there's like the energetics of winter A winter is a time of rest and spring is a time of planting seeds and summer is a time of celebration and ripening fruit and autumn is a time of harvesting and gathering it all in and preparing to rest for the winter. But then also to be connected to the bioregion we're in and what it's actually experiencing you, where you live, there have been devastating fires and now crazy floods. And, and I want us to be connected to the earth now. And so to live seasonally is, is to live with what is happening now. And to be with that, it's intense. And I, as you know, I'll go back to us being a death phobic society. I think we're a grief phobic society too. Like I think to live in a time of climate change and to live in a time when we want to reconnect with the earth, it's a time to grieve. So how can we bring ritual and community structure to our grief? That's what I'm personally looking at. Mm, interesting. And in grief, is there hope for new? Like, is there hope when we talk about grieving as humans? We, you know, it's very important to to see it as something we're moving through, and that it doesn't ever have to go away. 
but that we do actually learn how to do life within grief. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are afraid of grief because we think it'll just take our legs out from underneath us or yeah. kill us even, you know, there's a fear of like, if I cry, I may never stop. Yeah. And I know a lot of people fear that if they immerse themselves in the climate science and read those IPCC reports and engage with the communities online, um, I know myself, the catastrophe language is just too much. I know. Oh, it's heavy. You. And um, I know I need to acknowledge it. And of course I do. And I try to teach practices and ways of life that help us all be a part of the solution. But of course, anything that we all do on the ground means not enough if everyone, business, government, etc., isn't playing their part as well. And for me, the grieving process has been actually to, to realize just how corrupt our systems are and how failed the democratic promise of true uh, freedom and uh, a desire to all come together and do great work in society and to leave to our children. Like it's, it's kind of failed in a lot of places. And for me, grieving that and being really real about that, as you move through it, you then garner the strength to do something about that in your own little way, whether that's really considering that next vote you cast or really considering um, uh, your time prioritizations and saying, you know what? No, I have to make time for figuring out how to get a worm farm or a compost bin happening. I'm, I am going to leave a legacy and it will be a good one, one that my children can work with. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's been a really interesting part of climate change and grieving, as you say, seasons and just crazy weather all the time now it feels. And um, it's big where we're at at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I, I'm, I don't, I keep up with the reports, but I don't immerse myself in them too much. Yeah, and neither. I, because I, I know used that- to. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I know that paralysis is not good for me. And that's my, you know, I'm it's not fight or flight for me. It's freeze. It's like, so, so fearful now that I'm a mother, it's, it's, it's really horrifying. Uh, and so just, I, so two teachers that I'm thinking of here, one is Joanna Macy, wonderful author. And she has a, a, a program called the work that reconnects that I was fortunate to do. Uh, and which is really to engage in a relationship with the earth and her belief is uh, you have to let your heart be broken for what is being lost in order to fiercely fight to protect it. And so the first step in that like heartbreak is to grieve and, and to even openly grieve and that, and then I'm thinking of Martine Practel and grief and praise and this idea of like, the, as much as we're grieving that there must be wonder and joy and awe for what is here now. So it's not a bypassing, but it is, you know, like I am looking at this very old, tall black oak just on the other side of the computer right now. Here it stands, must be hundred years old. It's so tall. What has it seen, you know, here before all the houses were built here and 
to just love that oak, even as it's choked on smoke, it's still produced oxygen for all of us to breathe and to feel that love and connection. It's yeah. And let the tears flow. And I'm so glad you said like to see grief as moving through and not being stuck in. And so to balance it with, with that joy, with that joy, with what makes you truly feel joyful. And if it's a bit of reality TV, okay. But what, you know, what could be deeper there? Because yeah, the earth is also still here, you know, and we are still here. So what can we do to bring, to remember to ground ourselves, get us back in our bodies and stay in it. Mm. I love that. And I love the the little nod to reality TV or whatever it is. Like for me, it's yeah. like I need light comedy um, or, yeah. or, or medical drama, weirdly. Those yeah. are my two genres. <laughs> I like a good crime show. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I think, yeah, important is to also know that as important as it is to just take ourselves offline and go a little bit mindless, and this could have been a dance ritual or something, you know, take yourself out of your head and go somewhere else, um, whatever that looks like for you, um, to not also indulge and numb, like go into that phase. How do we know? How do we know where the line is? Trial and error. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. we all know when it's like, okay, time to get back. <laughs> okay. There. I just got asked by Netflix whether I'm still watching. Yeah. And uh, there we know. <laughs> Yeah. But also remember it's, there's also this whole thing of making us feel like we have to rush. And if we rush too hard, we will hit a wall. So if you want to like, what is sustainable for you? What is resourcing for you? Um, You know, and diversify that it could be reality television. It could be a crime show, but like, is it also touching trees? Is it also going on a walk? Is it also sharing vulnerably with a friend? you know, what, what is it in a like very holistic way to keep us in it, to keep us whole? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about one more thing, plants, because this is going to be a beautiful way for us to end as well on a super positive can do get out there and grow something. Um, Why is growing plants so important to our spirit? Well, I can only speak to what it does for me. Mm, yeah, do. So right now I have little seeds sprouting just under a grow light on the other side of this door. Um, and every time, every time this year that I plant the seeds, I hold them in my hand, they're dry, they're little tiny things. And I put them in moist soil And then when they first sprout up, I just feel like it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And then to feel like, oh, it's up to me to keep these growing. Again, I think becoming a mother just deepens it too, but I don't think that that's required. It's just like, oh, I I talk in the book about um, shifting from a perspective of ownership to one of stewardship and to really catch the ways in which we might look at any anything that is of the living world, which is us too, as, as being for us, you know, instead of like of us. And what is the purpose of this thing? Like, do you really want to cut that flower or should we leave it for the pollinators and you can appreciate its beauty up to us, but to have that. So, so I look at seeds and, and growing 
from seed as being like a very spiritual and sacred act. And my intention this year, because I always have big garden goals and just never hit them and have always, always fail in some way, but always have some victorious, victorious, um, experience too. But my whole thing is to stay in it from seed to harvest to seed again. I think there's something about observing the life cycle of a plant, whether you eat the fruit or not, uh, or, you know, here there's a, there's a paper flower tree also on the other side of this window that's about to bloom. And I wait all year and it blooms for three weeks and it is just glorious. And to think about the life, like one year of that, of a plant and to, to see us as that too, right? It's a reminder of us that we have seasons, that we have moments of vulnerability where we sprout up above and we need to be watered too. And we need consistent sunlight. It's, I find I treat my, my body better and I find I move, I move more slowly. And I've been thinking about the fact seeds, right? Seeds are encoded with the DNA of every single plant from the first seed that was grown from it, right? The plant grows, it produces the next seed that is planted. It grows, it produces the next seed. We are the seeds. We are seeds. We contain all the data, the DNA, the wisdom of every human that came with us before us. And then we have been planted and we grow. And that feels really powerful to me to just keep me in a place of wonder and care and um, with legacy in mind. Yeah. Beautiful. Grow something, grow something, anything. I don't think it's a, I don't think it is a coincidence at all that the indoor plant market boomed when coronavirus hit. I don't think that's at all a coincidence. It's like, okay, you want to take me out of like, you know, being able to catch up with friends in parks and what can I bring from the park inside? Like what, Mm -hmm. how can I bring what really matters into my life right now? And isn't it interesting that what really mattered to people was indoor plants? Yeah. uh, At least out here, seeds sold out. Mm. and yeah. baby, chi- baby chickens chicks yeah. sold out gardening were... programs online went nuts yeah that hard none of that me. is a coincidence that that's I where think... we were all drawn hmm. it's our nature mm. yeah it gives me hope for whatever's to come yeah that's right uh what a beautiful way to finish this incredible conversation thank you becca i love your book uh we can find you on insta as well i love your instagram i was having a little sticky beak this morning uh to get in the mood with my little cup of tea um what is it uh, what's your handle on instagram so people can come find you there as well yeah it's becca piastrelli if you write some version of that the algorithm finds me Yeah, nice. And we've got all your details in the show notes in your beautiful book as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to share about this beautiful topic, um, these beautiful concepts that really, if we start to think about how we can employ them in our own lives, I definitely think it leads somewhere good. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alex. 
Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.